Welcome to Fire and Water Presents. I'm Siskoid, and you know me from the network. I do First Strike Invasion. I do Give Me That Star Trek. I do Oh Hot More Not and the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast. And this summer, I'll be doing a couple of other projects with some very fine people from the network and from outside the network. This show is basically episode zero of both those projects, as well as Chris and Rob's Superman Movie Minute. So uh, I'm going to play uh, the promos and have a little bit of discussion on each of these projects. Stick around. Here's that first promo, and I'll see you on the other side. In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire & Water podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, The Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire & Water Podcast Network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel Team-Up. Yes. The Brave and the Bold? You know it. Marvel 2-in-1. It's clobbering time. DC Comics presents... Of course. Supervillain Team-Up? Good idea. Youngblood X-Force? Mmm, technically... FW Team Up, coming this summer, only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Superhero Team Up books. Why do we like them so much, and why is it so hard to put out a good one these days? Well, superheroes have been teaming up since the Justice Society of America created the concept of the shared universe, but the first real Team Up book was DC's The Brave and the Bold. Uh, from an anthology series, it grew into a place where DC's heroes could team up almost exclusively with Batman, offering some 150 issues of Team-Up between 1963 and 1983. Marvel followed suit with the format uh, with Marvel Team-Up, 1972 to 1985, featuring Spider-Man, and Marvel 2-in-1, 1974 through 1983, featuring The Thing of all people. Ben Grimm's everyman personality actually made him ideal for team-ups, though he wasn't an obvious choice. DC Comics Presents, 1978-1986, would be Superman's team-up book, replaced for a short while by Action Comics, immediately after the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, the 70s and early 80s were the golden age in terms of team-up books. But since then, the record has been spotty. The most successful of modern team-up platforms has been the Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon show and tie-in comic, both gone too soon. DC's also tried resurrecting B&B in the mainstream DCU, but without Batman's constant participation. On the other side of the street, uh, Marvel has spoofed the format with Deadpool Team-Up, 2009 to 2011, and later published uh, Avenging Spider-Man and Captain America and whoever for a while. But I don't find the same magic in them I used to find in the older series. Uh, DC, who arguably invented the format, only currently publishes a single digital title devoted to it, Scooby-Doo Team-Up. So what made classic team-up books fun? First of all, and this is something that modern comics have difficulty with, classic team-up books usually had a new guest star every issue. This mostly meant a one-off, complete story every month, which is apparently anathema to modern comics by the next-ish momentum marketing. But those books sometimes told long story arcs or even kept its own subplots going regardless. And at today's team of books might as well be X and Y three or four issue miniseries. The guest stars sticks around for a few months and when it goes, uh, so does the creative team. So this goes against the number one reason why team of books are fun. And that number one reason is 
you never know who's going to turn up next. I completely understand that team-up books need to regularly feature a big star to draw their fans in. However, the most exciting team-ups are the unusual ones. You would never have expected Batman and Sergeant Rock, Superman and Santa Claus, Spider-Man and Kill Raven, The Thing and Doc Savage. Covers that make you go, what the heck? Regardless of the story inside. And you can afford to do that when you're doing 12 team-ups a year instead of, you know, three or four. Can something like Avenging Spider-Man do a crazy two-gun kid team-up if it means sacrificing four months of, say, Iron Man fans picking the book up? Probably not. And those weird little team-ups are important because the number two reason is that team-up books are ridiculous and writers should give in to that. Think about it. It's already hard enough to justify how major stars can have momentous adventures in, in their own, often multiple books, participate in at least one team, and still have this other series of adventures where, though they usually operate solo or with a specific partner, they collaborate with a different hero each month, which to them would mean every few days. And, and because these various guest stars may come from anywhere in the shared universe, it makes for meetings that would usually be unthinkable, like Batman and the Legion or Superman and Swamp Thing, people who would not appear in the, the star's regular books because they are tonally wrong for it, or the only way they can meet is through time travel or dreams or who knows what Bob Haney has thought up. It's completely bonkers, and that's a large part of the joy of these books, seeing what kind of hoops writers jump through just to marry two completely different concepts. Variety leads to craziness, and crazy is something comics do very well. I, I don't know why anyone would want a gritty, realistic team-up book anyway. There is a third reason to have these, but it's one that DC, for example, may have lost through all of its reboots. Team-up books allow readers to explore the shared universe. The whole point of a shared universe is that the characters can meet, and the team-up book is the perfect place to check in with disused characters, put their logo on the cover, renew their copyrights, all that good stuff. At its best, it's a celebration of the comic book company's history, showcasing the Inferior Five one minute and then the Golden Gladiator the next, with Madame Xanadu, Wildcat, and Kamandi in the pipeline. At its most disappointing, it's only about whatever Avenger would best promote an upcoming movie. So you can see DC's problem. Their universe currently has no coherent history, my blogging friend uh, Snell from Slay Monsterbot once suggested it might be a way to discover the New 52 or now Rebirth versions of various characters, meeting them again for the first time, as it were. And that's one way to do it. It does carry a heavy responsibility, though, redesigning characters that the company might want to use later, in effect making a fun romp of a team-up book their first appearance. I can only imagine it falling prey to editorial mismanagement. It's too bad, because... Had we a slightly older universe to play with, the way I would personally write this this stuff is to shuffle a ton of who's who pages and draw a hero and a villain at random for each month. Let the chips fall where they may. The first comic book I ever bought with my own money was DC Comics Presents number 59, which teamed up Superman and the Legion of Substitute Heroes against Ambush Bug. It's not too random thematically, but far from obvious as well. And those are the kinds of team-ups I like. And today it's a hard sell, I know. I, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the marketing problems associated with team-up books. Publishers are no doubt worried, and then they're not wrong to be, that when an obscure guest star appears, that issue is not going to sell as well as the others. At three to five bucks a pop, 
that is a very real concern. And I can remember buying or not buying issues of Team Up Books based on how intriguing the guest star was because I had limited funds, even at 75 cents Canadian, an issue. Maybe the perfect Team Up book these days is digital only and a bit cheaper. I, I don't know. But the, the B&B cartoon showed there's hope for the format as it was meant to work. But the decision makers put it in the dreaded kids comics column and never really invested in that. While we wait for the perfect team-up book to appear, we here at the Fire and Water Network are going to bring you a six-episode miniseries with more to come later, exploring some of the team-up books of yore, and we're doing it the only way that makes sense, by teaming up on each episode and each advocating for one of the stars of the book. You just heard the promo. It's all on the table. From the very first Brave and the Bold to DC's recent team-ups between their heroes and TV guys like Space Ghost and Power Rangers. It's not an indexing show. We're going to run rampant across the whole of comics history to discuss our favorites. As usual, we're finding our joy. I hope it's your joy too. And speaking of joy... Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's Superman, Superman Movie, Movie Minute. Minute. Chris Franklin and Rob Kelly take you on a journey through time and space, examining, five minutes at a time, the greatest superhero movie of all time, 1978's Superman. Coming soon to a podcast network near you. You'll believe five minutes can fly. It comes toward them, and then they you see this them spinning, and... And then they're trapped inside it, which uh, I was watching uh, one of the making of documentaries and it showed they tried different things with the Phantom Zone. They had them in like a membrane, like almost looked like something out of a Freddy Krueger movie. They were <laughs> they were pushing through and and uh, but I, I think whoever came up with this idea of using this pane of glass uh, idea for the Phantom Zone, which is completely different than what we saw in the comics. Like yep. we said, last time, I mean, they just seemed like, you know, they were transparent ghost-like figures. Well, they were basically figures that weren't colored while every other character in the comic book was colored. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it's a totally different interpretation, but man, it, it really works. And you just imagine how horrible it would be to just float through endless space trapped on a, you know, I always think it looks like a record album cover. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean this this is the kind of thing that I think gives the lie to the idea that like all comic book movies or like we should be specific superhero movies like need to adapt the source material 100% because to me this is the definitive version of the Phantom Zone is of this idea. Uh I love like you mentioned we don't really see what happens to them. It's just kind of a quick wipe, but I like the idea that when they raise their arms you get the sense that it's maybe a little painful mm -hmm. uh, to be thrown into the Phantom Zone. And then you see them in there, and I love that they're all like they're on top of each other, which mm -hmm. gives a sense of very claustrophobic feel. Like the, the fan, like your personal Phantom Zone is like a tight little box, as opposed to the Phantom Zone that we later see in Supergirl, where it's like this big vast wasteland. This yeah, thing, this thing feels like they're in a tight little chamber, and maybe if it was just one of you, it would be bad enough. But to be jammed in there with two other people is is pretty bad. And the way that they're they're batting. The, the pane of glass, like they, you know, like, again, they're trapped in a tiny little box. It is, I remember being really chilled 
at this when I was a yeah. kid. And I, as I watched them fly over Krypton, uh, to me, it's still really scary. And it, it's just, I don't know whether this was Derek Mettings, who was one of the special effects guys, or it was John Barry, the set designer. Probably wasn't John Barry. But, I mean, whoever conceived that notion, uh, to me, that's, that's like an Oscar-worthy effect of just mm-hmm. coming up with something that had existed in the comics for so many years and had been done a certain way, and they did it their own way. And to me, is that is the ver- that's what I think of when I think of the Phantom Zone, despite having read 10,000 comics where it looked like something else. Friday's late summer 2017. The Fire and Water Podcast Network's Siskoid, along with Dr. G, Man of Nerdology, and other guests, explore the greatest films in Hong Kong cinema. From Shaw Brothers classics to the modern day, Kung Fu Friday is your one-stop shop for the greatest action ever put to film by human beings. Kung Fu Friday, a miniseries coming in July only at the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Be water, my friend. So you just heard the promo. Fridays from about mid-July, we give our good friend Ryan Daly some paternity leave, basically, and take over the Fridays uh, over the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And uh, with me to talk about the project is not the only co-host, but my most regular co-host, Dr. G, Man of Nerdology from Pulp to Pixels Podcasts. Roger that, I'm here. Uh, Kung Fu Films, this is obviously, this is going to be the film and water that Rob Kelly doesn't want to do, uh, which is <laughs> Asian cinema, in particular action films from uh, Asian cinema. And I, this is something that we, I don't know, I feel like this is what we originally bonded over on oh, Twitter yeah. or something. Yeah, no, no, I remember, um, I think we were pitching ideas to rob you know like movies that would be great to do and he was just sort of like oh yeah i've never seen that genre of movies and we were both aghast and then (laughs) we immediately like we're like peppered him and then realized like he you know it was like all just kind of like he didn't it wasn't movies he knew so we were like well we'll just pepper each other (laughs) with the list of movies we love and yeah no and then we immediately like and the bromance began well, I, I'm glad that we're getting Fridays uh, to do this because um, the show is called Kung Fu Friday for uh, no little reason. I mean, it's alliterative <laughs> for sure, but it's it was a longstanding tradition in my home that for like about, about five years, every Friday night, we would watch a Kung Fu film, a film from Hong Kong or possibly Japan or, uh, you know, Vietnam or these were action, mostly action films, but not only uh, action films and we still call it kff to this day even though it's now about just watching movies it could be anything so using that brand the kung fu fridays brand was you know a no-brainer for me but i do admit that my love of kung fu films is fairly recent uh is that the case for you or were you like a fan when you were a teenager oh i think i was a fan when i was a teenager i always thought like in the 80s i i loved the ninja craze um, I was a ninja for like Halloween one year and mm. I, I went online and like, not online actually, but like I went to an actual like martial arts store 
in our city in Phoenix. And there was like not a lot of them <laughs> at the time. And like bought a quote unquote authentic ninja costume. So not the costume store. I went to the martial arts store for it. So yeah, no, I was, I was into it. And I think for me, it's always been that appeal of like, especially cinematic martial arts are kind of a superpower. So, and I, and I, you know, it's like superheroes and superpowers are like my wheelhouse. So that was always the draw. But I, I think for me, it really starts with, I think like one of the first kung fu movies that, Whenever I think of like what's the earliest kung fu movie I've ever seen, it's mm-hmm. um, Monkey Kung Fu. Uh, USA Network in my local area, uh, the USA Network in the eighties had a uh, like kung fu theater like Saturday, and they would show kung fu movies. And the one that like to this day still sticks in my mind was Monkey Kung Fu. It encompassed the idea of like schools of kung fu and schools of martial arts and like how like. There's these like exaggerated, like distinctive styles to them and that they're characters in themselves, like monkey kung fu versus like drunken kung fu or drunken monkey kung fu. So like they were even hybrids and it was just like, I don't know. It was just this sort of like nerd customization dream (laughs) in martial arts. And from there, it was just one. And then, but I think in high school for me, it was like, that's when I and a, a really good friend of mine, Jeremy, that we were like, all into foreign films you know we'd always watch like foreign films or like you know like really bad dark sci-fi movies um but like lots of foreign films and for me particularly asian films were my the place like asian and french japan is my i love japanese cinema so i i like a lot of like chinese cinema um but i like japanese cinema more um korean cinema too actually i like i think the thing i like the most about korean cinema is i think the society they portray, at least in the sort of modern sense, it feels the most Western. Mm-hmm. So it's strangely, I don't know. I, I don't know how to put it in another way. So I've always been very interested whenever I see Korean cinema. But for me, it's like Japanese, Chinese cinema and definitely the, the, the wuxia genre of kung fu films and the, uh, that sort of chambra style of, you know, yeah. Japanese action film are definitely the, my favorites. Obviously we'll eventually, I mean, this is, this wants to be a, a mini series to start with, uh, because mm-hmm. I've got just too many podcasts on my plate, as do you. <laughs> yeah. So we're doing a, a small batch now, but I want this to be perhaps an annual batch, or perhaps it becomes an infrequent but regular event. Uh, I could easily mm-hmm. see it, you know, outpace uh, Hero Points, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, or dial G for gamer. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. uh, but those are hard to research. Those ones, you know, you know, those gaming podcasts, they, they, they require a lot of reading. Um, <laughs> but watching a movie, I mean, I, and I've got a large collection because my own origin with it is really is, is less than 10 years old, probably, or it's, you know, 10 to 12 years old, where, of course, I'd seen a few Jackie Chan movies in the theater and I loved Crouching Tiger. Uh, when it came out and it was my first DVD actually when I bought a DVD player I bought you know a single DVD with it and it was Crouching Tiger which just come out probably and oh, um excellent choice I I fall in love with the genre with uh, Dragon Dynasty releases Th- that's how it actually happened because I picked up Hard Boiled John Woo's Hard Boiled a gunfu film yeah uh heroic a bloodshed film and so do you say gun food? Cause I, I call them bullet ballets. You know, there are many <laughs> names, but it's, you know, I, I was interested in it. Uh, I'd heard things about it. So I just, I just bought it uh, without seeing it first. Of course I loved it. 
And then I said, well, you know, that Dragon Dynasty brand, which is, uh, they were released by uh, the Weinstein Company through a collaboration with uh, Tarantino. And so I thought, well, these are going to be a lot of influences that Tarantino has that I've liked in his films. So uh, I started perusing the Dragon Dynasty stuff, you know, the, the stuff they distributed. And uh, the next one I picked up was Heroes of the East, Shaolin versus Ninja or whatever. <laughs> Okay. Uh, you know, it's one of those. And that blew my mind. It's like an old Shaw Brothers from the early 80s blew mm-hmm. my mind. And from there, I started buying more of them. I've got maybe, oof, I'm going to say about 200 titles Ooh. or more. You know, either Shaw Brothers or uh, Golden Harvest or, you know, all the, all that stuff. Modern to and all of Asia. So um, I've got all that stuff on the shelves. I got to use it. And mm. that's what podcasts and blogs are for. It's um, justifying our copious consumption of weird niche media. Yeah. Find your joy. And this is part of my joy. I know. I know. I know. It's like every time I, I podcast about the, the things I love, I'm like, I'm so happy I spent money on that thing now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, actually, I wanted to say, you know, my other big connection and the thing I loved about the whole idea of like the superpower of it, I actually in college took martial arts classes. Now, I wasn't very great at it and didn't stick with it. So like it did, I didn't turn into Batman, which was what I was hoping for. Uh, but I definitely had that connection, too. So that I think it also fueled a lot of my love of like um, that in particular was one of the reasons I had this big phase because it was sort of like. While I was doing this sort of like sort of training in the sport, in essence, I was like mythologizing it in my head with the help of Asian cinema at all times. So, so there's a very uh, deep emotional connection for me on that one. Yeah, we've already started to talk about what exact movies we're going to do. We're going to try to do a, like a spread of uh, the major action stars, the major eras. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's tough. I um, you know there are too many to include, and I'm even. You know, I'm, I'm even wondering if in this first batch, because we've already limited it to, or I have, to uh, Hong Kong cinema for this first batch. So no Japan, no Korea, no other countries, no... <laughs> there's so much in this genre and of film that there's like... Yeah, because I really want it to be at once a, you know, recognizable so that people are drawn to the to the show, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time be uh, our primer for this stuff, you know, like recommending uh, the, the great, iconic films of the genre and of uh, Hong Kong cinema. And I'm already, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to pare it down to essentials and yet have no crossover, you know, not uh, with the same uh, star or director. And it's like, right. I'm, I'm already paring it down. Like, well, I, I, oh, damn, I, I don't think we should or could um, include any bullet ballets or, you know, I'd love to have some Hong Kong crime thrillers. I love them, but, you know, like an Infernal Affairs or, but, I, I don't think there's any room for it at this point because the it's it's such a a short run initially. So uh, I'm I'm having trouble with the list. Yeah, we'll hash it out. Stay tuned, kids. Yeah, and all that to say, <laughs> it is not too late to influence our choices. So ah. if you, ah, if you want to leave any uh, comments on the Fire and Water Podcast dot com site under this you know package of promos at FW Presents. Please do let, let us know what are your favorites or which ones you'd like us to tackle or which are your favorite stars, perhaps, or favorite directors that we probably shouldn't miss. No promises, obviously. We just don't have the, the time or the space at this time. But, you know, it, it could weigh in the balance with the um, 
ultimately with our final uh, six. So thanks for being with me, Dr. G. We'll talk soon, but obviously uh, listeners will uh, hear us talk about this topic in, uh, in late July. Come join us. It'll be great. It'll be like five-finger death punch. It'll be awesome. <laughs> <laughs>